Welcome to the On The Rise podcast with your host, Tanner Lewis of Rise Music Group. We talk to top professionals in the music business today as well as the rising stars of tomorrow. Let's hop into this episode of On The Rise. Welcome to On The Rise. I'm your host, Tanner Lewis with Rise Music Group. Today, we're sitting down with Emily Dryberg from Deluge Music to talk all about publishing and what it takes to be a writer in Nashville. How you doing, Emily? Hey, I'm, you know, just living my best life, getting, getting over COVID. This is, I think, the third day that I've uh, not had it, so it's a, it's a new world for me. I've been inside nice. for 12 days. <laughs> 12 days is rough, for sure. Man, it I is have, a lot. Uh, luckily, I've, I've been pretty lucky in avoiding it so far. Um, <laughs> cross, cross my fingers. My, uh, my fiancé is a orthodontics um, assistant and so i don't really know how i've avoided it because she's working in little kids mouths all day and stuff like that but now she's got the shot and so i'm hoping that i'm a little bit safer than i was a week ago (laughs) wow so she has she got the vaccine yeah so she just got her second booster and that was that was pretty rough she had covid for like one day just just based off the booster um pretty bad symptoms but hopefully now she's in the clear for the moment We'll see. Amazing. Well, that's really great to hear. Yeah, most definitely. But anyway, good to uh, to finally hop on with you. I know COVID kind of threw a wrench into our in-person meeting, so we've got to do this via Zoom, but <laughs> that's the world we're living in today. It absolutely is. Um, really just kind of want to spend like the first portion of this uh, interview kind of getting to know you a little bit. Um, I know we were introduced by mutual friend Zach Hawcroft over at CDA. So shout out to, to Zach for linking us up and excited to get to know a little bit more about you and what you do over at Deluge. So um, if it's cool with you, I'd like to kind of just open up the floor for a little background and kind of like where you came from and what got you into the music business. Yeah, let's do it. And, and shout out to Zach, who's an amazing human and really good at his job. Most definitely. <laughs> So uh, you're in Nashville now? Correct. Where uh, Where's home for you? Within Nashville? Oh, oh like... Home yeah, home. just... Gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where, where, where'd you come from? <laughs> you're like, or, what's your address? You like what's your zip code? like one of the rare Nashville natives? I don't know. <laughs> no, I, uh, I mean, I feel like it. I've been here for 10 years now, which is wild. Um, I'm 30, which feels weird. Um, so 10 years is a big chunk of my life. But yeah. Um, originally from upstate New York, uh, nowhere cool, very cold, a uh, little town, like 30,000 called Elmira. Um, but, uh, I went to school in Buffalo for a minute. And then I also went to school in Myrtle beach, South Carolina, which, uh, you know, go, go coastal, go Chanticleers. Um, not my best, uh, probably decision, <laughs> but it was fun. <laughs> I lived on the beach for two years and pool hopped and hung out hung out and got wasted. And then I was like, mm, maybe I should make better decisions. So Nashville. Yeah. So you came to Nashville from upstate New York. Very cool. Yeah. 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 I, I did the Belmont like thing. Nashville. It's got so many like Texans. It's got a lot of Tennesseans. It's got a lot of like Alabama, Kentucky, but I don't hear a lot of like upstate New York. And actually, um, 
my newest management client, Tom O'Connor, is from upstate New York. Uh, Tom O'Connor, yeah. yeah. Are you familiar? I don't like. I don't claim to like know Tom on a personal level, but one of my writers, Mason Thornley, um, is buds with him, and he's been in my office a couple of times, actually. Okay, very cool. Well, uh, yeah. we just started working together two months ago, and actually we haven't officially uh, announced it. The announcement comes out next week, and so I guess we're officially announcing it today. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's a hell of a singer, that guy. Yeah, he's he's doing great, and and I think he's been in Nashville about the same amount of time as you. I, I think he's on year nine right now in Nashville, and uh, really killing it with with good rights and getting a really great writer circle and, and doing some good stuff. So excited to bring him on board and uh, see where that that takes us. But um, yeah. so I'll have to send you some of the songs that I have with him in my catalog because you may not even have heard them. Yeah, most definitely. So yeah, I mean, he's he's so recent. He sent over um, two hundred tracks the other day, and so I've just been, been spending hours and hours and hours just diving through everything that he's done in the past few years, and some some good stuff in there. So definitely send me anything that uh, that you've got. Would love to hear it. <laughs> wow, what? Okay. Um, but so you come to Nashville and <clears throat> do finish up college at Belmont. Yeah, so I did. I did like the super duper senior plan. I uh, I always just wanted to love what I did, and I think everybody probably thinks that. But um, and I really didn't understand at the time maybe how expensive college days or was. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was in college for almost six years. Um, my first year as an upstate New Yorker, um, my parents really were adamant that I stayed in state and didn't just go God knows where, get crazy, and decided I wanted to come home. So I went to school in Buffalo at, uh, I went to Buff State because I couldn't get into UB, which uh, it was a really, it was like your typical college experience with like crappy dorm room and like, you know, you know, all the crazy things you hear and see in movies and TV. I feel like I truly got that college experience at Buff State. It was amazing, um, but very cold, and I didn't really feel like it was a spot for me. And so I actually have a twin sister named Jamie who okay. also is in publishing, which is very random and not the way we plan things to be. Um, my background's actually in artist management, which is where I was for like three or four years. Um, long, long story short, but my sister and I kind of decided as a result, it was very cold in Buffalo. Um, we were really into music and I think we used music as sort of a coping mechanism to deal with just how cold it was. We didn't have a car. <laughs> we're in this big city. It's your first year away from home. I'm the same age as Taylor Swift and I'll, I will rep Taylor Swift all day. She inspired all of my dreams, my hopes. She brought me to Nashville basically. Um, so long, long, long story short, we, uh, we're using music just to like deal with the shitty harsh conditions of Buffalo in our first year in college. And one day we were just like, we should go somewhere warm and just open a beach bar and, and we'll, and we'll have live music and we'll just go live in a fun, laid back, really cool life yeah. in the South. And I remember we were like standing on this bus stop and it's fucking snowing like crazy. And we were just like, let's do it. Um, so we applied to a school called coastal Carolina um, which lives in Myrtle Beach, um, kind of behind my parents' back, got in, 
we're going to do like a business degree, entrepreneurship, whatever, um, and ended up going there. And um, when we got there in the South, it's nice and, and it's different. Um, there's a lot more music, live music in the South than there was up North. And so this was like in the age of like, I guess it was like towards the end of MySpace, like Facebook, like, um, and Jamie and I, so we ended up getting, getting to Coastal and we realized like we're two hours from Charleston, we're three hours from Charlotte. There's all these really cool venues. So we would sit there and like scour all these artists, like MySpaces or like pages, whatever, and figure out where they were playing in Georgia and South, South Carolina and North Carolina. And we had this, total michael scott uh red pt cruiser um and we would drive all around like you know within four or five hours of, of myrtle beach and go to all these concerts and they weren't like huge ones they were like you know enter clubs and bars and all these up-and-coming artists that were newly signed and playing these shitty gigs we would go see them all play and it was awesome. And, and I guess, you know, we're two young girls, we're twins, we kind of stood out. And so all of the band people would remember Jamie and I, or they would like ask us, Jamie's my sister, by the way, they would, you know, the band people or the tour manager, they would go, hey, do you want to come backstage? Or, you know, do you, hey, do you want to meet the, the artist or whatever? And, you know, and we always knew all, all about them. And, and so we got to build some really good relationships while we're there and meet some really cool people that I'm actually still friends with today. And, um, there's a couple of guys. I remember we were at a James Otto concert at this place called, um, shoots this, the beach wagon. I think it was called Myrtle beach. And one of the guys in the band was like, you guys have to go to Nashville. You have, you should be in the music business. Like that's what you need to do. And we were like, you can do that. Like that's a job. And they were like, yeah, go down there, be a manager or work at a label or whatever. And all the, all the typical things that you hear. And we were like, okay. Um, so we ended up and I'm a rambler. So if this did not answer your question, I apologize, <laughs> but we ended up getting an extended stay, um, at this, like basically like crappy hotel in Murfreesboro road, um, that summer for like 60 days and um we me myself or my sorry my sister myself and my best friend adam we all just got we, had, we landed internships with the shitty motel and we just did nashville up like we, we went there we had fake ids i think we were 20 like we literally ordered fake ids from this like online thing where they mailed it to us in like a gift card and you opened it um and we just figured the fuck out of Nashville and we went and did it and it was so exciting now I'm like I have amazing friends from that summer that I met um that I'm still friends with um that I was I was just we were just fans and, and these all these up-and-coming artists were we, we'd go to every single show every single night the listening room or like Belcourt Taps or I'm trying to think what the venues were Douglas Corner rest in peace um and yeah. we'd uh we'd go do all that stuff and we got to do really amazing things and so while we were there too, my sister and I started this blog and uh, we're twins and we love music. So we started this blog called Twin Love, which in hindsight was kind of weird, but we just started like, and it was honestly just to show people at home, like this is Nashville and this is you know, over 10 years ago now. 
here's all the really cool things um, that you might not know about this city where like this little fucking city in the South and there's all these amazing people that you see on TV and you hear about living there, like time like Taylor Swift was living in there and all these artists. Um, And uh, yeah, so we started this blog and it was literally just to show people what we were doing. And all of a sudden we're getting all these like media requests and like, people are asking us to come cover events. Like we did stuff for like CMT and MTV and like the band Perry invited us to like private things or like we were on a phone call with like the Judds and things like that with this crappy little blog, you know? Um, And we just figured out Nashville. Um, So we did that and then ended up then next summer transferring into Belmont. And I think by the time we got to Belmont, it was really interesting. I feel like a lot of the kids in our around us didn't really understand the luxury of living in Nashville, especially those in the music business. And we got in there and we were like, well, we're going to smash this. Like we're in Nashville. We missed the first three years of our college experience here. So we would go out and do all these crazy things. It wasn't even crazy. It was just like, we would just go do Nashville. We'd go out every night and meet people, do things. Did that just, uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I think my, my AirPods are, are, kicking but um we'd go do all these things and, and, and all these people we were hanging out with at parties and stuff would be like i see you're out doing things like, i didn't even know that national had these things and we we're like yeah, yeah all you have to do is go to a venue and, and you'll meet people and so we were we kind of got ahead of the curve because we were behind the curve and so we would and so we we would go to belmont and we went to belmont just to, just to do it um and we were terrible students i was terrible i was never on time i never did my shit but what I did was I had like four different internships where I was meeting all these amazing people. Um, and I graduated. I don't even know what my fucking, I don't, I don't know how my, how I did in college. I didn't even know who the Dean was. I didn't know anything about the school. I just knew that I needed to be in the school in order to like be a gateway to um, these internships and all these other things that I was doing. So yeah, most definitely. So yeah, I graduated, I think in 2013, it was, I was like five and a half years deep into um, a degree and then, um, and yeah, I guess that's my TED talk. Sorry yeah, about that. <laughs> I, I like it. So, so me and you, honestly, are on a pretty uh, similar timeline. We uh, both both thirty and graduated from college the same year, actually. And uh, yeah, I, I I went to college in Texas. Um, went straight business degree at Texas State in San Marcos, and then as soon as I graduated, moved to Nashville. So very yeah. very similar timeline. Um, you know, obviously not there full time right this second, but definitely spend enough time there and don't think that uh, I don't think there will ever be a time in my life where Nashville is not at least a part of home, you know. Exactly. And, and I, th- I think that's so important. And, and I think we've learned a lot in COVID about you don't need to be in Nashville anymore. Like you can, you know, you can Zoom all day and you can we have so many resources um, with technology and things like that. But um but yeah, I, I don't think I could ever leave Nashville either. Yeah, I love I love LA. Like I I love if, if, if the industry and the community that I had have in, in Nashville were in LA, I would absolutely move there. But um, no, it's it's hard to leave here, you know. Yeah, and and there's something about the energy that comes along with being surrounded by people that are as passionate about this business as you are. Because um, that's that's yeah. rare. I mean, people in Nashville don't realize it's rare until you 
try to do this somewhere else. And it is, I mean, it's, you know, it's everybody in Nashville is gung ho hundred percent all day, every day for, for this mm-hmm. music business. And it's not like that everywhere uh, or, or a lot of other places. No. Yeah. Our community is great. And it's funny cause I have a lot of friends in LA and New York and different, I guess, music cities. And I just, you know, there's just something really great about being able to just walk into Red Door or be able to go to Losers or, you know, whatever. And you run into half of the music business. And I just don't know. Like, I have one writer who kind of, he's a young guy, super talented, really fun. Um, but he doesn't have, like, he is still very green and is still working on um, building his name. He goes couple nights a week to a couple different bars and he has met so many different amazing people that have secured like helped secured so much success for him just by being a good networker grabbing some beers hanging out and i don't think we always understand the luxury of that um if you go to la i don't even honestly know you go, you go to a venue like how do you how do you find someone in new york like how do you like where would you even go to to do those things like i just feel like it's so tangible here and we're so very lucky to to have that and this community is so supportive yeah like yeah like as a publisher we there's just you know there's probably 60 different publishing companies um independent and major and everybody's kind of cool with each other they want to help each other out they want to connect dots Um, if i need a contact or if i need an email or if somebody comes, comes to me um it's like yeah man here you go or if you're like hey who's that hey i heard um Carrie Underwood's looking for songs or Carrie Underwood's setting up co-writes. Like if I don't have the answers, I can literally text one of my buddies and say, Hey, what do you know about this? And it's not weird. It's not like, this is my information, whatever. It's, it's a, you know, it's a really humble, um, loving space. Yeah. It's like a better in, phrase. Inclusive network for sure. And inclusive. And, and there definitely is, at least in my experience, no, very few people who won't take the time out of their day to, to help you out when you're kind of getting plugged into the, the music industry there. I mean, I, I still say to this day, like, I mean, most of my life was not spent in Nashville, but I've got a million more friends in Nashville than I've got anywhere else in the world, you know? Yeah. That's a great way of saying that. Um, so very cool. So then you come to Nashville at that time. Are you, you still doing the management stuff or have you kind of already shifted gears from that? When I, when I arrived in Nashville? Yeah. Like when, when were you doing management? Was that kind of while you were in New York or was that post Belmont? So I, so I went to Belmont, um, was interning a couple of different places. Um, out of college, I started working at this little, little label um where i kind of for lack of better phrasing did everything um had an awesome artist we were working with it was sort of a part-time thing um but in the meantime i met well i connected again with an artist um that was formerly on big machine label group um had been um freed of his deal for lack of better phrasing kind of and it, it is interesting all these artists that um are on major label deals and then when they don't work out which 95 percent of the time they don't work out um which is interesting in itself but they don't know what to do because so much nobody's pumping money into them anymore or nobody's behind them um and they're used to it it's almost like the kids that get up, go on the voice or or american idol and they walk in and there's like full production studios and they're doing these million dollar demos and 
they have these huge fan bases and then they walk off the stage after they lose or they, they win, whatever. And then they're like, okay, what now? You know? Um, but I was working with this guy and um, he'd been out of his deal for about a year and uh, just needed help. So I started managing him um, and that was pretty cool. Like it offered me a scenario to where I could leverage different things and open doors. And I was able to build a team up again. Um, I was able to, you know, get him in positions like the red carpet again and get him pressed again. And, and then I was able to support him, but also like help myself get a foot in the door with some things and actually give myself an excuse to reach out to all these amazing people that I had never felt like confident enough to really connect with, but okay. he still had some, some cool things going on and still had a name so I was managing him and then working with this other little label. Um, and then, and I think that's how everybody starts the music business. You have like a bunch of weird things you're doing. Um, then I also had my, my little blog thing that I was running as well. Um, so I was just kind of doing whatever I could just to like be in that position. Um, and then as a result of working with this former major artist, um, I ended up working at a, like a boutique management company um, where we had some really cool clients. Um, we had like CC Winans and Laura Bell Bundy, um, some really cool bluegrass acts that were really established. Um, and I learned a lot just about the business and, and looking back, I didn't realize how much I didn't know. And I fucked up a lot of things less, uh, bless, um, their hearts over there. Cause I did, <laughs> Um, but I learned a lot about the industry, just about how you just have to do everything. Like it's so important to just uh, learn and try and do everything. And and like, had I not, I have so many skills, and I have so many more skills now as a publisher um, that I would I would argue that a lot of my you know um, people in my space don't have because I had to go do the management thing. Right. And it was hard. It was like boot camp. It was like, re- it was almost like fucking up a little bit. Some of the positions I kind of was put in, but you have to play those roles to support your artists if, if they need those things. Like I was doing like tour managing and road managing and payroll and PR and all these things where I'm going, cause, because management is just the whole career. Like you're dealing with every single part of the artist's career. And, and I learned both, both sides of pretty much everything. Um, and so when I walked into a publishing space where, um, which I went into just to be more creative because I love songs and I love songwriters. Um, I didn't realize how many of those skills I was going to use that would then, you know, put me in a better position than a lot of people maybe around me just because they didn't know, they didn't even know how to do those things. Yeah. And I mean, I, I work with a lot of amazing people in my space. I'm not saying that I'm <laughs> superior to anything, but, but it is pretty interesting um, for example, um, it like, and I look at publishing management, all the, they're just income streams. I think at the end of the day, you just need, if you're in the music business, you just need to be a fighter and, you know, stick, stick your neck out for your talents, connect dots, have a network. I think it's all the same. Um, as a publisher, like I'm playing a manager role for one of my clients right now because he just doesn't have a manager sure. and, um, like he, he's releasing, he's released a couple songs and um, he doesn't have a manager. And, and if he's going to release some shit, we're going to support it. Like we have to figure out the best way to maximize it. We're not, I'm not just going to let him release a song with no support just because I'm his publisher. Yeah. Like 
it was it's, so it's like with with this artist that I'm working with. Um, he's great. His name is Johnny Gates. Um, he came in and it's like he and I build his plan. We consider every aspect of it. We we put the team together. We build the rollout. We we strategize everything. We do the marketing together. I help him find photographers. I help you know. I've helped him get his agent. I've helped him get all these other things and. And me as a publisher, my job is literally to deal with songs and songwriters. But as a person who is investing time and energy in this talent, I'm now playing a managerial role. And I just feel like, and it's like it's important. Um, and and yeah, so I yeah, think I think that's, people that's kind that's of overthink. Well, and it all yeah. comes it all comes back to you. I mean, if if he wins, yeah. you, win, you know, and, and that's yeah, what, exactly. What I was telling a client of mine the other day, they were asking about um about press stuff, and we don't we don't have a um, PR person on board for for this client right now. And he was like, "Well, I mean, I guess we'll just skip this because we don't have press." And I was like, "No, we right. won't. We'll do it ourselves because like we all win together, we all lose together, and that's part of being on the team is like." especially as as a management role like you are that person until you have somebody else yes. below you that is taking on that role and then you make sure that they're doing their stuff but until you get those pieces that's your piece you know? yeah and i think it's about mindset and and i've learned a lot about i'm really big on like self-help and like just doing whatever i can to be the best me which yeah. i hope most people do and i have like audible on my app audible which like like the, the books um and i'm always reading books about just like how to kind of maximize yourself and, and whatever um i've read one recently early started to read it because I'm, I'm kind of like the person that digs halfway into a book and then um you know gets what i need to out of it whatever but i recently was reading one um it's, it's called mindset and it's just about there's nothing to even think about just like to be successful within a space, you have to have a certain mindset, or at least to be as successful as you could be. And I think that not everybody goes, not everybody knows to unlock the mindset of, we don't have this, so then I play that role. Or, or like you said, we don't have a publicist, so I now go, I now go cold email a bunch of um, outlets. Like, like if you don't have a publicist and you're releasing something, all you have to do is put together a little, little email that's pretty nicely worded with some links, with some imaging, find a bunch of outlets, reach out, and, and maybe they'll hit back. That's all yeah. PR is. Right. I mean, PR is important because these people have relationships with the outlets um, and they have leverage and things. But if you don't have a publicist, you should still be connecting with outlets. You should still be reaching out to influencers, things like that. Like, if you're not doing that, I almost feel like you're not fully doing your job. Like, like how else are people going to figure out that you have shit going on if, yeah. if people aren't covering it? So you go, you have to go in the mindset of, okay, like, don't, have this so i'm i guess i'm just gonna go do it or i'm gonna help find somebody who can facilitate that for whatever with whatever i can do if that means like you trade skills with or you buy them a coffee or you mow their lawn so that they go do that for you like you figure that out yeah and and that's what i feel like the mindset you have to have to truly like have long-term success within the space you do what you can until you until somebody else can do it for you or you're in a position where you can hire that person or Whatever. Most definitely. Yeah. hundred percent agree. I mean, uh, there was, there was a time in my super early career, graduated from college. I got a corporate sales job, um, in Nashville. And that was kind of like mm -hmm. my ticket to like, Hey, I've got enough money to move to the Gulch and there you figure, go. Out, figure out Nashville. Right. So we got a condo up there 
And I spent like six or eight months working for this uh, Fortune 500 company and great company, great culture. But what I got out of that job was absolutely invaluable in their sales training because it was all mindset and Mm -hmm. it was all like, how do you have bigger output? How do you put yourself out there? How do you, how do you work? You know, what's, what's your daily habits? Are you, you know, getting up at 5am and, you know, grinding or, or are you, you know, drinking the night before and being lazy the next day and and wasting your Mm -hmm. whole Monday and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I, I still, communicate with my superiors at that company and stuff. And there hasn't been a time when I've sat down with them for coffee or anything that I didn't thank them for not giving me an opportunity with the company, but like giving me these sets of skills and this outlook Mm -hmm. on things that's going to forever change the way I work. Absolutely. I don't think people always understand that. Like, like we work and navigate a business and you're also managing a lot of personalities. And um, one of the, what I feel like is one of the most underrated skills just in general is just your fucking social skills. Yeah. Like, or just knowing how to make someone feel good. Um, the power of persuasion in a way, I don't want to say it's manipulative, but if you can be a good fucking person and you can make someone feel good and you can offer a service or just have an amazing conversation with somebody, I mean, it's just rocket science. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's just like so easy. Like if you can be that person with who, um, if somebody wants to be around you, that's half the battle. And, and you'll see that in, it, with, um, throughout history, all these really amazing, successful people, different presidents, uh, different, like really successful business people. Um, a lot of times, yes, they do have skill sets. A lot of times they are educated there. There's whatever, but if they have, the ability to walk in a room and make someone feel good or um, someone wants to be around them or just, you know, be an influential, socially um, inept person, uh, that it's, it's half the battle. Like I know artists who I don't want to say aren't great, but I know I I can name at least three different artists who have had a couple different record deals who they're good. Are they the best ever? Maybe, maybe not, but they have this social fucking game um, and it's not manipulative or crazy. It's just like, they're really fun to be around and very likable and you want them to win. So they've had different deals, you know, and I can name 20 other artists that probably have better branding or better songs or um, make a stronger statement or whatever, but they have this infectious uh, charisma about them that makes people go, I'm going to invest my time and energy in you and I'm going to, and I'm going to keep you around and I'm going to support this. And so I think, um, if anybody out there has never read, um, how to win friends and influence people, absolutely. my favorite, my favorite book, I read it like, you know, every other year. Um, so important. Just, just, just the power of that stuff is, um, is whatever. So like we're talking about skill sets and things like that. I think people go, I have to know music. I have to, whatever. Yeah. You have to know all that stuff. It's my job every day to understand like it's a Friday. I have to listen to all the new releases. I'm going to go through my Instagram and look at all the stuff that my friends are posting and make sure that I'm aware of it. I'm going to go talk to my friends and see what's going on like within, within the music space. Um, but I'm also going to go, um, sorry, but, but, and I have to do that, but also like there's all these other skill sets, like you said, sales, persuasion, social skills, just 
things you don't even think about that will help maintain and obtain and give you good shit long term. Most definitely. Love it. Did not uh, did not expect this interview to to go there, but I, I think this is all awesome stuff for, for our audience to hear. And we've honestly um, never had a episode on mindset and stuff. And there's a there's a few um, people in in our industry that are well known for like just being being very high on mindset and kind of how how you operate and mm-hmm. stuff. And so I've been wanting to do an episode strictly on mindset for for a long time um yeah with with a few uh few different buddies in the industry and we haven't made that happen yet but i'm glad we're touching on it a little bit in this one yeah i love to i love to hear it. I, th- I think it's so important like just just mindset and just i mean i'm not a spiritual person i've never um i've never even met a church to be honest but i've gotten really into like the law of attraction and just like the power of positivity and like I don't, a lot of times people don't even understand how negative of a person they are, how negative their mindset is, especially to yourself who you should be fucking nourishing yourself every single day. Um, and so I think if you look at anybody who's had success, um, they, 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 they have that mindset and, and they put into their mind, like, you know, with law of attraction, it's like just basically telling yourself this is going to happen or this will happen, or I've already had this happen. Um, and then subconsciously things, to, you know, you start, things to start coming your way and you start making decisions that will affect that. And, um, it's all about just telling yourself you can do it because, you know, within, within reason, I think anything is possible. Um, and I think that's the way you have to treat the music business because it's so fucking hard and it's so competitive. So, yeah, love it. So you're, you're in Nashville, you kind of get involved with, with a few little small management companies and then mm-hmm. you eventually transition just full blown into, uh, to the publishing world, even though you're still taking on some managerial roles and stuff. But how did you initially get involved with Deluge where you currently are? Yeah. Uh, so I was at, gosh, I was at a birthday party for or Christmas party for a pretty cool, um, publishing veteran and she has these crazy amazing christmas parties at this awesome like condo that she has every year and and she um all these really cool people were there and um ended up running into a girl named susan ruth who um badass songwriter has had some really amazing cuts on some big artists and um you know you're drinking you're connecting dots and susan was actually a writer at Zaluge at the time and long story short, got to talking and um, figured out that they were looking for a creative director at the company. And I was like, well, I, I, I was in publishing as an intern for like three years, I think. Um, but, you know, I was an intern, like, you know, I did a lot of things, but I'd never had a full-time position in the space. And, but I was really familiar um, with just the, everything about it. And long, long story short, um, met, met, met her boss, had some interviews and was able to land the gig about three and a half years ago. So, so yeah, and that's just the power of, of networking and things like that. And you'll find um, when people are looking to fill a position within, within the industry, they just ask their friends, yeah. you know, yeah. um, or they very, ask somebody they know for there to be a, uh, a resume submission process. It's yeah. all, all within the, uh, the friend group for sure. Yeah. And I think, um, that's kind of the way you kind of navigate it. It's just like, I'm at an industry party, you know, they trusted my judgment because I was in that space. 
Um, and, and yeah, so, and it helps if you know, you have mutual friends and, and we did. And, um, so yeah, I, I, uh, three and a half years ago, I want to say. So you come in as creative director and that's Mm -hmm. your, that's your current role with the company, right? Yeah. Uh, we've had some internal changes, so I, um, which I can't really speak to all of them, but we, I do see my position changing. I mean, my job is more of just like, I would consider it more of like just overall publishing and A&R, um, scouting talent, making sure we're getting my writers in the best type of rooms. Um, I had a guy in LA who, so my company's very small. It's on the publishing side. It's literally me. Um, I have a joint venture with, um, an artist or a writer named Jason signs with, um, can you hear did that? This guy can you hear me. Yeah. Still got you. Sorry. I, I think, yeah, one of my AirPods is gone, but, um, so it's basically me, um, this joint venture that I have, which is kind of hands off for me. And then I had a guy in LA who kind of was just like president overseeing everything, really good guy who hired me. Um, and we recently made some internal changes where his role has switched. And so, and we also have a management team. So we're kind of pooling resources with the management and I will move up to, I don't want to, I don't know if it's president. I don't know if it's head of publishing. I'm not really sure what it is, but it'll be, um, I guess a more round rounded, uh, position within the publishing space, but also aiding in some of the management things. So sure. Very cool. Yeah, but, but I don't care about titles and things like that. I just would love, I just want to do whatever I can to support my, my talent as best as I can. Yeah, so. most definitely. Very cool. So, um, at, at the most rudimentary level, let's, cause I'm, I'm trying to think if we've had any, um, publishers on the podcast in the past. I mean, we've, mm-hmm. we've done a ton of people who came up in the publishing world and did really well there and then kind of moved into, to other sectors of the industry, whether that's labels or starting their own management company or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. but current publishers, um, if you're cool with it, let's just go over for our audience, like just the mm-hmm. basics of what's a publisher do. Yeah. Um, well, publishing at its, I guess, core, it's, it's an income stream. Um, you, you own the uh, copyright of a song. So um, it is, it's my job to sign writers that I think can um, secure cuts on records. So write songs with an artist or for an artist that will then land on the record or to sign um, artists who I think will be able to have enough success to where um, when they release a song or hopefully when they get a label deal and it's on radio and things like that, um, we then collect money from it. So the copyright of the song is just, it's just the song. Like we, like my writers go in and they write it and then we own that portion of it. If you deal with like a label, for example, they, I mean, there's a promotion level with labels, so it's a little bit different. And but they own what's called the master, which is just basically the whole the actual recording of the song. And so, if you think about like income streams like that, it's um, it's pretty easy. But I think publishing is a little bit more behind the scenes, even though songs are so important. Um, but um, on a daily basis, it's my job to um, set up set up co-writes every day. I manage six different calendars. Um, I have to understand the strengths and weaknesses of my writers. So I have one person that's like more of a lyrical top liner who 
um, contributes more to just like the phrasing. Um, so I, and she doesn't produce, she's not an artist. And so I have to know, like, it's my job to put her with great artists and balance it out with producers who will make sense for that specific artist. So, um, she goes in and writes with, I'm just going to name, like, um, for example, I'm setting up with her one with her and like Rachel Wamick right now, who's a Sony, Sony artist. Yes. Sony artist. Um, and it's my job to understand, like, if you're going to go and write with Rachel, who's, you know, a female, pop country, maybe a little bit more inspirational based, not super like, um, poppy, more of a country vibe. Like I have to understand, okay, this is what Kylie, my writer contributes. This is the kind of person I need to be in the room to maximize what we're doing and, and get the best song that will possibly then end up on her record. Right. And so I do that. And then with artists, it's almost backwards. It's like, okay, for example, I have an artist that just signed a broken bow. And we're going to radio for the single in like three or four months. And so it's my job to understand like what she needs to do um, to maintain, to have the best song for radio. And I have to understand her as an artist, like what she kind of contributes and what she wants to say and find the best um, collaborators who could then facilitate that and then make that the best possible song. And so now she's, it's interesting with her because she now is signed a major deal. So every single every single cool person in the world wants to write with her. Right. Who, any, anybody who I, everybody who I could never, ever get in a room with before, you know, bless their hearts, whatever. Um, she's now like, you know, a, um, a commodity or something like that. Like every, sure. every single cool person, like on her calendar, um, you know, she's writing with Ashley Gorley and Hillary Lindsay and Nicole Galleon and all these amazing people that she's like losing her mind about. Yeah. And she's got to try all those. But I also have to understand as a publisher, like, okay, so I'm going to put you in a room with this awesome person. Let's make sure that we're not wasting our time. Let's make sure that we, you know, you, you do like for her, for example, like, so if I put her in a room with, um, X person, I have to make sure that it's just the best use of her time, like knowing her sounds. And, and I, I keep calling her like, for lack of better phrasing, like Maren Morris phrasing with Dan and Shay melodies. And I have to understand what writers can help contribute to that, to get that sound. So yeah. if even with Ashley Gorley, who can write amazing songs, Ashley Gorley's written songs for every single artist in town, which shows how versatile he is, but to make sure that we are getting the right third or, or producer or, or other person in the room to help balance that out. Sure. So normally in co-writing, you do have three people. You have an artist, you have some writer, and then usually some form of a track or producer. So, so it's my job to facilitate that, all those things within co-writes. Um, but I also pitch songs. I meet with labels um, a couple times a week, producers, uh, managers, artists, um, to see what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, so I'll get like tip sheets. So it'll be like, here, your underwood's cutting. She wants a hit song. It's got to be about her mom. It's got whatever. So I'll get all these things. And knowing the catalog of songs that are written every day that I have, um, I'll go, okay, I have, I have this song and I'll send it to the label. Or I'll tell my writers, hey, Mason Ramsey really needs a song about his grandpa or something like that. And I'll right. go, nothing going on today. Try and write the song. We'll get it demoed up. We'll get it over to, to Big Loud or whatever. Yeah. But it's also just, again, managing personalities. Like I, a big thing about just management and publishing and just creatives is just making sure that they feel good, giving them morale, giving them feedback. Um, for example, I have 
two, two of my writers have been writing this one song recently. And it's good, but it's not great. And I know that they're capable of making it great. And so it's my job to you know, massage your ears a little bit, but also be like, here's where I think you could, you could improve this song. Yeah, it's not, not quite there yet without, without shattering all their hopes and dreams. Exactly. And so it's like uh, managing personalities, but also understanding capabilities and, 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 and understanding like the depth of a song. Like the shit that's on radio right now, or the shit that's coming out right now, like if you're not writing songs as good as Morgan Wallen's new record, then don't even write a song because that's what you're up against. Right. And this guy is going to be breaking records for this. You know, he just put out this double record. That's amazing. That's what you're up against every single day. Yeah. So I'm not saying you have to, everybody has to do exactly what Morgan Rollins is doing, but if you're not writing to the tier of what's going on, you're just not going to, you know, you just got to keep striving for, for, for the peaks. Like, Want to take a quick intermission from the episode here to give y'all a quick update on our buddies over at Hilo Digital. Um, if you're interested in any digital marketing services to further your music career, they are the only way to go. Um, shout out to Hallie Ferguson over there who's doing great work for, for both my management clients as well as uh, the rest of the Hilo clients over there. Um, if y'all are interested in checking her out, helping grow your branding, helping you you navigate that next release, or just kind of grow the number of listeners that you've got checking out your stuff, check out hilodigital.com. That's H-I-L-L-O.com. Or shoot an email to info at hilodigital.com. Let's hop back into the episode. You know, you look at... I'm mean, music gets a lot of shit, but there is really great writing right now. Like Sam Hunt, an old Dominion, Morgan Wallen, Hardy. These guys are writing fucking great songs. The lyrics are great. The melodies are great. The concepts are great. There's the phrasing is tight. It's clever. It's almost like poetry. Some of this stuff. And, and I say to my writers, like, if you're not at least striving to write songs that good, then somebody else is going to write it or Morgan Hardy's just getting another cut. Like you have to go work to go do those things. And so it's my job to make sure that they're aware of all the good shit going on too. And that they're studying and paying attention to these things. And, um, and there's a really good book for anybody who likes to read or just whatever. Um, and it's uh, called writing better lyrics by Pat Pattinson. And he's like a Berkeley professor who helps like John Mayer and a couple other people but it teaches you all these crazy things that you may not even thought about. Like song, songwriting, it's, it's formulaic. Like there is structure, there's ways to make your phrasing tighter, there's ways that you can balance out clunky words and ways that your melodies can be certain different things. And I think some people, because music is such an, a creative outlet initially, a lot of people don't always think about like the science behind it. And there is, you know, and not everything is right or perfect like you look at someone like julian baker who doesn't even have choruses in their song her song but when it comes to country music there's a way that you can sort of you know you have a, you have a verse it's got to be kind of quick but it's got to say something you have a chorus it's got to be catchy but it's also got to be you know have a little bit of depth to it right fingers that should push the song along and then you have a bridge you know pre-choruses to like there's pre-choruses in songs normally but not always and um and you also have to understand what makes a hit um so yeah that's that's my cap and rant about that but um 
I think it's a lot deeper than just writing a song. There's so much, um, there's so much to it. Yeah, I, I love it. We're hitting, uh, we're hitting a ton of points here. And um, <laughs> man, I feel like we're, we're going to have like three mini episodes in one. We're going to have like the mindset episode. We're going to have the how to be a better songwriter episode. And then we're going to have the what does a publisher do? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we're, we're hitting them all, but I like it. Um, so basically at the core you're connecting writers with other writers or artists getting those songs wrote kind of vetting the songs and then ideally finding them a home out there in the world somewhere and then making sure that all the admin and back-end stuff is is working out um for writers who think that they want a publishing deal or think that they need a publishing deal or or that's you know some somewhere in their goal catalog and stuff like that can we talk a little bit about deal structures? Um, you know, what, what should they know about like, what, what does it mean to have a publisher? Does that mean like I get a bunch of money up front or does that mean I get paid on my song cuts or does that mean like, um, they just set up my rights and I don't get anything for it and they give me a room to write in, you know, there's, there's so many different ways, uh, that those deals are structured. And I think it's important for, for young artists and young writers to kind of know how to navigate those a little bit. Um, and then also even putting into the, the formula of what does it mean to be like an artist writer versus just a writer? You know, I mean, that, that plays a lot into the way you negotiate the deal and, and kind of what's on the table or off the table. So would love your thoughts on that section. Yeah. And I think, um, it's funny that you said that um, the thing about the money um, publishing deals, I think are shiny and exciting because typically you do get a draw up front and it's not always a ton, you know, it's usually somewhere between low twenties to thirties thousand, especially if it's your first deal and especially if you're not established. Um, and so everybody wants a publishing deal. Everybody's a broke artist. Nobody's getting rich in the beginning for the most part. Um, so everybody wants a publishing deal. Um, and I think it's important to note, and you hear this all the time, uh, that you never want to sign a deal that's not right for you. And, you know, I've had, um, like I had, I got a call from a buddy of mine recently who I'm a huge fan of, amazing, talented artist. And she called me and was like, Hey, like, I want to work with you. Like, I, I want you to sign me. It's not about the money. It's not whatever. It's just about like, I think that we can do really good things together. And um, like, again, I'm a small boutique company. Um, I don't have like a really big significant veteran name and Nashville associated with my company to where I can leverage things, open doors really easily. And, and as a 30 year old, I'm still, I don't want to say I'm young, but I'm not, I don't have 40 years of experience to where I can call every single person up. Um, so she called me and I love this fucking artist. And I was just like, hey, you know that I wanna work with you, but I will tell you right now, if I were to sign you, it would do not, neither of us justice. Like you wouldn't get the, the attention you deserve. I don't have the infrastructure to support what you're doing. All, you've already built this amazing foundation and, and that's half of what I do for artists and writers is like the things that you've already done. Um, and I was like, I know exactly what you need and I would sign you in a minute, but I have to understand, you have to understand, like, I don't have a, the capacity. Um, if I were to sign you, I would be neglecting some of my other talent that I'm invested in. 
um, and be like, you wouldn't get the deal that you needed. Like she needed a bigger name who could then um, support different things she's doing. She needed national or yeah, national and global resources. She needed significant budgets and things like that. And I, and it was really hard. It, it was, you know, interestingly enough, she just signed another deal. It's going to be the right home for her. They'll, they'll she'll get a label deal. And I missed that opportunity. And I'm, I'm really fucking bummed about it. But I know that eventually we probably will work together. Right now, it wasn't the time. Um, but that was like a hard call for me. And I'm going, yeah. hey. But what I have now, right now, is two artists who have label deals who I have to give all my love and attention to. I couldn't give this person this. Um, so I think it's important as an artist, as a writer, all that to say, to know what you're getting into because people, a lot of times you will get an offer deal well not a lot of times if you're talented and you're significant and you're doing things people are going to notice and it's, it's it's important to navigate like what your wants and needs are so um so yeah don't ever sign a deal that is not the right deal for you because you're locked in they own all of your public like within a time frame like publishers own let's say you sign someone for a year i own everything that you write within that year and it's going to be really hard for you to get that back and you have to understand, like, you're trusting me to get these songs heard or heard placed or, you know, add some value to this, whatever, for the $30,000 that I'm giving you. And if you feel like your songs aren't in the right home or you don't have the team that can, um, I guess, uh, maneuver and navigate you in, in the best way, then you shouldn't sign that deal. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think it's really important, and it's interesting. We li- we're living in this interesting space of like TikTok and things like that. Um, I don't know. I just think you just make sure you're doing the best you, you you can do. Like, always make sure you're improving as a songwriter. Always make sure you're learning. Uh, always make sure you're making sure you're having conversations and figuring out how to craft yourself better. Um, yeah, because a lot of times, and when you release music or when you're going to shop for a deal make sure it's the best you think it can possibly be in the best time. Because a lot of times, like, I'm not even gonna lie, I'm not even a huge publisher. I get slammed with emails. And if I don't have the capacity, to, like, let's say I get an email from, from, from you. you, you send me some songs, and they're pretty good, they're okay. Um, but I've heard a lot better ones, and I think you could, you know, improve. I mean, never, ever have the capacity again to open another email from you because yeah. in my mind I've heard your songs they're pretty good um, but I also have a gazillion other emails internal submissions all these other things and so if you're going to go do it make sure you're doing it right and I think there is this pressure to release stuff and get stuff out and I'm just going like if you want someone to hear it a publisher a label or whatever make sure that everything you're doing on every level is as good as it can be yeah, most definitely. never did another shot. Like, like I, I, I don't know how a and R's do it now nowadays because there's so everybody can be an artist, everybody can be a writer. All you have to have, we have access, we have technology. Anybody can produce and make a record for fucking nothing. Um, and so it's hard to filter that stuff out. And so you may never. You could be the best in the world. I mean, I'm seeing this with a lot of these TikTok kids. Like, I know I'm, there's. I can name three different artists that are, that are just signed label deals as a result of TikTok, who I have known for years, yep. never gave in a second thought because they, in my mind, were not ready for a deal, I guess, or just not as great as the other things going on. Um, 
And so I just didn't pay attention to them. And, and, and I've had them submit music to me, a couple of them, multiple times. And yeah. the second time when it wasn't very good, I just stopped fucking listening. Right. You know? And so I think it's important to notice you have one shot. So make sure everything's really great when, when you submit it. And also, I never, never underestimate the power of email etiquette. Like if you can craft a really good email, um, like the subject line's got to be good. You got to have like fucking common sense when you're writing an email. You got to be polite. Don't put too much shit into it. Um, but make sure everything is in a space where you can see it um, and click it quickly and easily. Um, and so email etiquette is very, very important um, because like I, I'll get emails from people that are like, "Hey, I'm a writer. Like the subject line is God knows what," and then and then I'll get an e- the body is like. <laughs> I don't know, paragraphs and paragraphs about all this crazy stuff and there's no links or I can't find, I don't, like I look at it and I'll, I'll just go, nope. Like next. Yeah, right. And I don't mean that in like a, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't mean to be like a dick about it, but it's just like, you have to understand that we are human beings and we, or, or like, you know, people in the industry are also human beings who like have to make a split decision of do I invest my time, energy in this or not? Because we have so many things going on in our world. Um, not that we're that cool or important, but like give it to people in the most easy to consume way um, that gives them the information, hits all the high points. Like I, I have this email template that I send to a bunch of people and it's basically like, this is what your subject line should be. And within your subject line, it should say who you are, what you're looking for, and then anything significant that would make someone open an email. Like if you had a cut on cut on Reba, or if you were signed to Warner five years ago, or if you, you know, collaborate with Haley Kiyoko or some shit, that should be in your subject line. And it should, should be like in quotations, this is my artist name. This is what I'm looking for. And then here's some cool shit for why you would want to open the email. Yeah. And when you open the email, it should be something like, hey, I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm a producer, songwriter. Here's bullets on all the cool shit I've done. If you're an artist, like really good stats and numbers. Um, if you're a songwriter who's had success or, or if, even if you're like writing with people who you haven't had cuts on, but they're like significant. And just so I know that you know those people and you're in that space, all those things should be right there in the body of the email. And then there should be very clear links to music. And then, you know, if, you, if you've got a cool image or a brand, like attach some imaging or whatever. I need, to, I need to see all that shit as quickly and easy as I can for me to go, okay, cool. Like, like, like I, I will invest my, my moment of time in that. Um, again, not saying that I'm like the most valuable person in the world, but like, I think you just have, people sometimes underestimate like people in the industry are also just like humans who have to decide whether or not they're going to invest their energy in, in, and just put it in the, it, it's just marketing, you know, it's a yeah. I think that's super important, but I just think just keep doing that. Like, like as a songwriter, you should, you should never be satisfied. You should always be trying to improve yourself. You should always be learning. You should always be connecting dots. Even as a country writer, like you need, you should, you should be listening to pop music. You should be, you should listen to driver's license and you should listen to F-150 and all these things that are breaking and, and understand what, understanding why they're having success. And you don't have to, internalize anything but you should at least be paying attention to those things yeah most definitely i was uh i was talking to a another publisher buddy the other day about just kind of 
the efficient ways to receive information and, and those types of things. So uh, I'll, I'll give you a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> SoundCloud or Dropbox for you? Oh, shoot. I guess it doesn't matter. Um, as long as it's a link that I can click and there's not like an error or I don't have to like click around too much. All right. All right. So, so you're flexible. See, I'm, I'm all on the SoundCloud. I can't do Dropbox stuff because like I was telling you, um, Tom, my, my new artist, 200 songs in in a Dropbox and I have to I'm, I'm working on it right and it's in the background of my computer and every time you want the next song you got to go back to Dropbox and you got to tell it the next song and that type of thing whereas SoundCloud you just press play or download it into your iTunes library and just let them play and you know kind of let it sit in the background and, and see what sticks and what doesn't but um yeah, that's that's one of mine, and and uh, I was talking to a buddy over at Spirit Fluid yesterday, and uh, seeing seeing his input on it, so I figured I might as well get yours. Well, I look at Dropbox more as like a storage thing. Um, like I put a lot of imaging and things in sound in Dropbox. Sure, sure. SoundCloud's cool too because it's also you know it's like I actually had a um, I guess it was a Zoom with. Uh, a curator at SoundCloud recently, and they're in an interesting space right now because it's kind of a place where people throw up demos or they, whatever. It's, it's, an, it's a really interesting space, um, but they're kind of trying to work into like more of like a distributor, like um, label situation where right. they can, um, you know, have the success of some of the other DSPs or something like a TikTok. But it's kind of confusing for them because they have all these people that are just uploading you know, demos or work tapes or rough things so they're trying to like right. things will pop off and they're going that's not even like the real version of a song like, yeah. it's like and, and and there's actually if you anybody who does do soundcloud there's actually a really good community of publishers and writers who are uploading um stuff to soundcloud all the time so if you want to hear what some of the community is doing like go to soundcloud and follow like creative nation soundcloud or follow you know spirit music's soundcloud or, or luke laird soundcloud because they almost always put new demos I, I remember like i discovered Marin morris on soundcloud not that i discovered Marin morris i didn't I, I have nothing to do with her success but <laughs> i found her on soundcloud because she was writing with a couple other writers um that i knew who were posting things and and there was always like you could put the, the, the first initial and the last name and a and I kept seeing M. Morris on all these fucking great songs. And, and I thought she was like a 50 year old woman. Like I didn't know anything about her. Um, this is like probably a year before she got her deal. And, and I was like really into it. And I started going to her shows and like, that's how I kind of figured it, it was cool. Cause I got to watch her sort of come up, sign her deal and, and do amazing things. Um, but yeah, there's all, you can, you can always find like if you're really invested in, in, in something or, or, or shows up in your feed and you're like, oh, I love that song. You can kind of figure out who the writers are and, and, um, and start just learning and paying attention. And, and then you go, okay, well, he's playing around next week. I'm going to go, whatever. Um, but there is a really good Nashville community on SoundCloud. If anybody is just like looking to hear A, how some things are being produced or B, B like some of the things that are being written that because there's so many fucking songs in the world that will never see the light of day. Yeah. Um, but SoundCloud has a lot of stuff. I mean, amazing fucking songs that will never be recorded. Um, but they're out there. Yeah, most definitely. And that's the uh, cool part about your job. I guess you get to you get to hear them all, at least for your, your catalog of writers. And, um, you know, it definitely, I, I you know, every time, every time a publisher sends me a Dropbox of stuff and, you know, there's, there's a ton that's great and there's a, 
few that are great for the artist I'm looking for. And then there's a ton that are just incredible. They're just not right for the artist. And, and it's always like a hit you in the heart of like, we can't cut this because it's not right for my artist, but like somebody's got to like, can I help find somebody to cut this? You know, you're just really wanting that, that song to find its right home. We think about all the writers in town. I mean, like I have six writers myself at Sony, Sony ATV within Nashville probably has, I don't know, 80 to hundred writers who wanted the same, like, and these are just signed writers, right? Yeah. Like think about all the songs that are being crafted every single day. Like, and let's look at, there's five, maybe six major labels at this point now. And how many artists, I'm really bad at math, so I'm gonna definitely fuck this up. But like, let's say, I think Warner, Warner National, let's say they have 30 artists right now, which I don't know how many they have. Let's say between the, the <laughs> let's say there's a 200 signed artists in town right now, two major labels. Half, I'm going to say 75% of those artists are going to co-write most of those songs on their right. record, let's say. And nobody's even putting out full records anymore. So it's like really fucking bad at math. But if you look at the odds of a song being placed on a record that's just an outside song, um, it's tough. Like, it's, it's really hard. There's only a few artists in town that aren't writing the record and it's going to be like a Blake Shelton or an Alan Jackson or there's a couple writers now like um or artists now like um some of the Texas guys will take outside songs or you know Luke Bryan now will take a lot of mostly outside songs but 75 percent of the, the artists on label deals are gonna they're also writers and they came up from a writing scene so they're gonna at least be co-writing most of the songs a lot of times they don't write the singles because a lot of times they're not as good of writers on that level as like they're you know they're emotional people they're not always wanting to craft hits so that's that's a good thing about some outside songs like i look at like there's one record with kenny the kenny chesney put out i think it was the pirate flag record or, and i remember he had one single and the single is the wheels to, the, to to sell the whole record um his single was this pirate flag and an island girl song and that was the single and he didn't write it like somebody else wrote it um and but the record he wrote almost all the songs on it because right. like not that he didn't have a capability of writing a hit but he knew somebody else had probably a stronger hit song for radio and the, the rest of the record was just kind of stuff that he either, either co-wrote um or wrote by himself and um anyway um the opportunity for for there's not an opportunity for every single song whether or not it's great and, and it'll be interesting to see how that changes because the income streams suck with dsps right now like nobody's getting paid so it's kind of like just go put out whatever the fuck you want as much as you can. Um, but um, at the other day, like I have in my catalog, 3000 songs, um, 99% of them will never be recorded. Yeah. And I would say 85% of them are great songs. So, so yeah. The, uh, the, the harsh realization of the publishing, publishing industry. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone from the, uh, and this is why you've got to keep your mindset so strong because you're dealing with all this heartbreak. <laughs> well, and like, and you're, you're totally right about that. It's got to be. You've got. You, I hear no every single day, all day, you know, and it's not personal. Um, but it also it makes you want to work a little harder and see what else you can do better. But within songwriting too, just to know you also deal with just politics and camps, and um, I'm not going to name any any 
body, but like, for example, there is a couple of labels in town who, and, and they do it right because they, because they, they make the right signings. They, if they have an artist, they're going to sign the writers that will help um, write the song. Like they, I'm not going to name any names, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I say, there's a record that comes out on, on an artist. Um, they sign that artist knowing that they can write really great songs with the songwriters they also have signed. So it's like a label. And I'll just give one example that's a positive example. And this isn't the same scenario, but like I look at the Morgan Wallen record again, which is a great fucking record. <laughs> so good. Um, he signed a Big Loud Records, which is an amazing label in town, and they're doing really great things. Um, but if you look at Morgan's record, almost every song on that record is written by also a Big Loud writer. And it's not just because they're keeping it all in house, but it's because they have the songwriters that can craft great Morgan Wallen songs. Right. Some people take things like that personal. And, 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 and if you do look at that record, there's a couple songs that were outside songs that were just great songs they couldn't ignore. Um, but if you look at that, all the writers on, on that record, it's, it's everybody who's, you know, it's, it's Hardy, it's, um, and I'm blinking on all the writers over there. But it's pretty much mostly Big Loud writers. And... They made a great record, you know, and, and all those writers know how to craft songs within that space. You're not going to see like, I don't know, you know, this crazy person on the record because it just wouldn't even make sense sonically. Right. Uh, but you do deal with that with a lot of um, artists in town too. It's just camps and politics of just like the income streams. And because you don't make money the way you see, you try to keep as much in house. Same thing with Mitchell's Tenpenny. If you, if you look at Mitchell's record or if you look at Luke Combs's record, a lot of the people that are writing Luke Combs' songs and Mitchell Tenpenny songs also um, are published by the same people. So like Mitchell Tenpenny's record, you see like Michael Whitworth and Dallas, his last name, um, a bunch of Riser House writers, yeah. which is whatever. Uh, same thing with Luke Combs. It's a bunch of River House people. And so you do deal with that. And there's always ways, there's always possibilities of getting in those camps, but you also have to understand that like these are people that, sonically crafted their songs from the beginning and so you're seeing a lot of these things like luke combs i'll give one example um on a different side of it like kelsey ballerini for example who i'm a fan of i think she's a great artist um her first record she wrote it with a bunch of people in nashville who maybe weren't all hit writers some were um some were um and she had a really i think a really good debut record that was different and fun and commercial and then you know she made the next couple records and because she'd had success was able to get in rooms with some really successful people who write amazing songs. And she then went to write the next couple records with all these people who weren't people who she initially crafted her sound with and artists change, they're humans, they evolve. So th there's that factor too. But like, I don't think the other two records landed as strong or as well. Um, and, and she'll say, like, you've seen tweets where she's going, I, I didn't get any CMA noms, or I didn't get, you know, her first record had like four or five number ones on it. Right. And the next one, the record had more depth and was definitely more mature, but was it the same? It wasn't received quite the same. It wasn't received as well and wasn't the same. Um, I don't think the fans resonated with it on a level because they're looking for yeah, boy, and they're looking for boy with your hat back, whatever. And they're getting we were legends and like all this deep stuff that, and there's a lot more to that, but um, 
but it, it does show a difference. And, and, and so long story short, um, there is a lot of times like a political or like a campy thing within different artists. And so getting outside cuts place or getting into camps, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot more relationship and it's a lot more, um, I don't know, like camp political base than, than, and I think that's what some people don't understand. Best song generally usually doesn't win anymore. It's, it's more about all these other things. And, and I think these people generally do think that they are recording and writing the best songs, but um, it's not just about like the best song. And, and it is possible. Like there are publishers I've talked to that are like, I still do believe this, but I also think there's a lot more to it than just the song. Um, Sure. Well, and, and maybe it is a best song wins thing, but, uh, you know, your babies are always prettier than everybody else's babies, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> That's a great way of saying it. So completely get that. Well, um, I mean, I know, I know I've taken up quite a bit of your day today and there's, there's still a list of items over here that I wanted to hit with you. And, uh, and I know we, we've got to work on wrapping up here, but, um, Definitely want to uh, want to keep picking your brain, and maybe we'll we'll get another episode in here in the future. But um, before we hop off here, wanted to give you an opportunity. Um, I know you're working a little bit on some stuff with uh, Young Young Music City, right? Is that yeah, yeah. kind of a new new uh, newish project for you? Kind of kind of recent. I mean, yeah. In compared to uh, in compared to the sister love. <laughs> Um, so if, if you want, um, would love you to kind of give just like a brief overview of that for my audience. Yeah, I've got a couple companies that I've kind of built, which is just as a result of finding resources to, to meet people. And I think uh, I'm lucky enough to like know how basics of a lot of things like just branding and building websites and Photoshop and video editing and things like that. But um, so I started a company called Young Music City, shoot, like four or five years ago now at this point. Um, and I started it as just being a young person in the industry. Um, and this was like right around when the Nashville show was hitting. And there was a lot of eyes on Nashville. And anybody who is a Nashville person, the representation of the city and the scene here was a little bit smooth. It was definitely like a soap opera. It was definitely different. But the perception of Nashville was really... Um, Kind of, kind of hokey. It was like hay bales and you know cookies and like all this stuff. And we're going. I mean, that is sort of part of Nashville, but it really wasn't. Um, so anyway, like being, I had all these friends that were doing really cool things. Some were songwriters, some were artists, some were just people, you know, in the music space. Um, and nobody knew about them. And so we started interviewing all these really cool people and. I mean, the content was terrible. Like we started it and it was like, I have, I have all these um, really, we just hired some video people and we were just basically getting people drunk, bringing them in, in, this, in this room and having them talk and, and play music. And we were just putting it out and showing people, but the content was terrible. Like I have, and I have some really, you know, I have some pretty cool stuff. Like I have, um, some early stuff from like Devin Dawson and Emily Wiseman and um, like Lance Carpenter and all these really cool people that a lot of them went on to do some really cool things. Um, but it wasn't very good. <laughs> so we didn't release a lot of it. Um, but what we were, we were putting it out and um, Russell Dickerson was one artist that we were working with that, that we did some cool stuff on. And um, his manager, Charlie, who's an amazing manager, he, uh, he manages Avenue Beat. Russell Dickerson, 
he's working with or managing Priscilla Block, and there's a label thing there. He kind of got excited about it, and we ended up building a partnership with him on this company. Um, and so what we kind of were doing was just showing people music and showing people that it, it, it wasn't just country music. There is a lot of great country music, but there's a lot of talent that is is signed that isn't signed that is country that's pop that's r&b there's all this really crazy stuff and um so our idea was sort of just to like smash the perception of nashville and, and we're really big on branding but like make everything look really cool um and just kind of um what is my let me look at what my little um about is because when i start explaining it i just ramble like, <laughs> Some, some some crazy like mad scientist trying to explain his art um, and it's not that deep. But um, what did I say? One second, one second. Okay. Okay, Young Music City is a lifestyle brand that celebrates the new Nashville music culture across all genre. Created by music business professionals straight from Music Row, Young Music City aims to shift the antiquated perception of Nashville and its music scene through modern social media platforms, intimate content, great events, and more. So just the idea is just to showcase all this really cool shit coming out of Nashville, um, big, small, different genres, but also just make it look super cool. We're really big on branding and yeah. when it comes into your feed, it looks badass. Um, and we're going through a bunch of internal changes right now. So um, our output's been a little slow, but um, COVID has been an interesting time to navigate. So, sure, um, sure. but it's really cool. Like being a publisher um, and being within the business, I know all the people that are signing. I know all the artists that are being invested in. I kind of on the pulse of things before, um, and I'm able to then push that out and connect dots and create opportunities for these people and also build really good relationships with these people just through this outlet that I have. Um, so yeah, we, we do like really awesome events for the industry and, and our demographic is half industry focused and half just like artists looking for opportunities. Yeah, and I'm thinking I, I might have actually ran into you one time in person before. It's, it's been a bit, but um, are you familiar with an artist, Tyler Dial? Tyler's a bro. Okay, cool. So he, he invited me out to a showcase or, or a round he did. It was some cider place in like East Nashville. Oh, you know what? That was actually my. Um, I do rounds for my company. That's my okay. Opinion. Okay, cool. So maybe that's maybe we were at least in the same room or briefly met or something. But um, but I knew when uh, when Zach started talking about you and Deluge, I knew it rang a bell from from somewhere. Yeah, we. Uh, I do. I mean, I think it's so important to just have a tangible thing for um, everything you're doing and. And my company, I started doing rounds where it was two or three of my talent and then people that they were working or created with. And Tyler writes with that, a bunch of my writers, actually. Big fan of his. He's done He's a bunch killer. of done Young Music City showcases for us, too. And that's another thing about our brand for Young Music City is we have awesome showcases. Like, um, we've had, I think, three or four people get record deals just from playing or, or um, being a part of the show cases and um it's been really cool even opportunities to showcase my own talent um so yeah very cool well uh love love seeing everything you're doing over there um where can our audience check out both uh yourself deluge young music city whatever you want to give a quick plug to yeah i mean youngmusiccity.com or delusionmusic.com okay or you can just stalk me on instagram i guess emily dryberg um 
yeah, but um, but yeah, I'm just gonna plug my artists, uh, Madeline Merlot, who's my newly signed Broken Bow BBR artist. Um, she's a big Canadian artist as well. She's badass. And then I've got a guy named Johnny Gates who is ridiculously good looking and also very talented. So if you like tattoos and long hair, he's your dude. All right, very cool. Yeah. Well, uh, Emily, I definitely appreciate you taking some time out of your day. I know it was uh, tough for us to get this scheduled with, with COVID going on, but thank yeah. you for pushing through and making it happen. And let's, uh, let's link up next time I'm in Nashville and catch some music together. Yes, I appreciate all this. I want to take a quick minute here to thank you all for listening to On the Rise with Emily Dryberg. It was an awesome episode. Really enjoyed getting to sit down and chat with Emily for a little bit. Y'all make sure to uh, leave us a review if you're enjoying On The Rise. Shoot it over to uh, to your other industry friends who are looking to get more info on the music industry. And, uh, and definitely, if you would, leave us a review in your favorite platform. Give us those five stars. Uh, drop us a comment. Let us know what you're thinking. Shoot us a message on Instagram. You can find us at, at RiseMusicGRP. So uh, we will catch y'all next time.